What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All of the Above Podcast Extra. As you know, we like to drop these in between our full episodes. Our full episodes are stocked with like dope headlines, super dope guests, a whole lot of dopeness all up in those full episodes, and we drop those on YouTube. We also drop the video on Spotify and, of course, your whatever podcast streaming app you're using, but those take some time to edit and all that good stuff. So in between those episodes, it's just Jeff and myself. My name is Manuel Russin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, and we record these because it's just a lot easier to do the audio only and just get it out there right quick. And we use this passing period of time to talk about stories that maybe didn't make it into our full episodes. Jeff, it is um, officially June now. Out here in the Los Angeles area, up until today, it has been gloomy, gloomy, gloomy. I hadn't seen the sun for like three weeks. They were, what were they calling it? May Gray. And then comes June gloom. But we are here now in June. School just got out for me. Shout out to a class of 2023. We just had the graduation ceremony two nights ago. And um, it's summertime, man. It's summertime. What could I say? Sun or not? I mean, today happens to be sunny. But um, it don't matter, man. It's summertime. It's summer break. Jeff, we are free. We are free. How you feeling? Oh, Manuel, I am not free at all. Uh, <laughs> and uh, both because LA Unified still has one more week of school and because I work year-round. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just not even slightly free. Uh, but I am happy for all the educators out there who are uh, you know, getting to the place where summer break is starting and some much-needed rest and relaxation and recuperation can happen and and honestly you know the end of the year is also just like a a beautiful time because graduations are happening end of year you know activities and performances are happening uh on friday i was at one of our one of the high schools i work with and as i was wrapping up um late late afternoon there was a group that came in and was setting up for their like uh, basically, it was like the the celebration for the black students on campus. It was like Black Excellence Celebration Night. It had a better name than I'm saying right there, but uh, you get the point. And um, you know, it's just you know, there's just so many like wonderful things to celebrate about young people and what's happening in schools. And this is the the time of year when those celebrations happen. And so, um, so it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, man. I love that. I love that. It is a beautiful thing for sure. And um, one of the big rewards for being a teacher is seeing, well, at least teaching in the high school level, especially uh, seeing your students after after so much get to cross that stage and seeing the, the families and the community come out to celebrate. Um, nothing beats that feeling. And that feeling does not get old, Jeff. It doesn't get old. This was the end of my 19th year teaching. And um yeah, man. Every graduation is special and holds a special place in my heart because, yeah, man, it's especially this year's class. Like, they, what the pandemic did to them, man, it was just, ah, man. So, very happy to see them cross that stage in person and all that good stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of good feelings, good vibes, as the kids would say, um, we do want to just remind folks yet again, just, you know, just in case you missed it, just in case maybe. Heck, maybe you're joining us for the very first time. Maybe you caught wind of our episode um, about ethnic studies, and that led you down a rabbit hole, a AOTA show rabbit hole that landed you 
to these passing periods, uh, welcome. Those are the best rabbit holes, the AOTA show rabbit holes. Like, ooh, what other dope guests have they had? Ooh, what's this? What's that? Oh, passing period in between four episodes. Let me check that out. Um, so maybe this is your first time hearing this. But um, our good friends over at the Human Restoration Project are putting on a conference this summer, end of July. The Conference to Restore Humanity 2023, Breaking the Doom Loop. Um, definitely... You want to check out what the conference has to offer. It is super dope. Uh, four keynotes, three learning tracks, 20 plus sessions of dopeness, building on human-centered human engaging systems for educators and for our, our young folks. So if you go over to the website, humanrestorationproject.org slash conference, and if you decide to register for this conference, you could use the code AOTA, which is for all of the above, um, if you're new here. All of the above, A-O-T-A, during checkout for $25 off, uh, which goes to support this show, this two-person operation over here. And they have other discounts built in as well uh, for members of various communities and all kinds of dopeness. And I think there might still be some scholarship opportunities available, perhaps. So definitely check out humanrestorationproject.org slash conference. Jeff, I still need to register for this thing. I have been so busy. I'm like in my head. It's like on my list of things to do. The conference is from July 24th through the 27th. And our very own Jose Vilson, friend of the pod, um, will be one of the speakers there. So I'm looking forward to registering for that. I will be using code AOTA show or code AOTA. And even if this is your first time, you're like, oh, but I'm not really AOTA family. I just barely got here. Nah, you family. You here. You family. So check that out. Jeff, we have a lot of good happening in the world. We also have a lot of not not good happening in the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of not good happening. <laughs> That's funny. So um, we're going to dig in on a story um, that is one of these not good stories. Uh, but actually, first, actually, actually, um, let me shout out AOTA family member, uh, Nolan Fossum, who is a great AOTA family member because not only does he follow the show and boost it and all that good stuff, Nolan is a, a mathematics teacher out here in the Southern California area. Um, he also, you know, sent us a little message about re-upping on some All of the Above merch. Got himself a couple shirts from our All of the Above store. Um, check out aotashow.com slash support uh, to see how to do that. And um, also register for this conference using the AOTA code. So be like Nolan. And also he's a great follow on Twitter. Jeff, I'll be honest, I'm I don't engage as much on Twitter anymore because it has changed so much in the last year. It has changed so much and I'm just I'm worried what's gonna happen to the data. So like I'm like, I'm not gonna put a whole lot on Twitter anymore because I don't know what what your buddy Elon is gonna do with this data. But <laughs> um Nolan has been a terrific follow on Twitter for a very long time. Um, his Twitter handle is at Nolan Fossum, uh, N-O-L-A-N Fossum with a F, F-O-S-S-U-M. And uh, he's shared a lot. Very, very transparent educator about his his journey and his, his um, continued progress towards building a, the most humanizing space possible for uh, his math students. So excellent follow on Twitter. Uh, Jeff, I, I went over and, and finally made an Instagram, which is weird to me. It's a weird space. But if you're listening to this and you're on Instagram, I'm over there too now. And um, I'm still trying to find a home, man, after what happened to Twitter. I'm trying to find a home. But that's not the topic of today. The topic of today is a very uh, troubling story out of Los Angeles, out of North Hollywood, uh, specifically, Jeff, and it's Pride Month, and 
this Pride Month is hitting very differently than previous Pride Months in very not good ways, man. So talk to us, man. What we what were we on this this passing period for this weekend? Yeah, well, we we got a couple stories we're going to talk about today, which is you know kind of uh, the typical uh, situation for us. But we're going to start true. with yeah some not <laughs> some not good things happening uh, here here in Los Angeles. It is June. It's Pride Month, and uh, you know Pride is one of those things in our world where pride uh, the celebration is one of those things in our world where uh you know the people who are just sick hateful religious fanatics uh you know utterly uninterested in the welfare and well-being of a whole slice of the human population and the people that love and care about them find in their daily schedule enough time to do things like show up at an elementary school and protest a pride celebration happening there. So I, there's all kind. this is a PG show. We, do, we don't do a lot of cursing. If we were to do a lot of cursing, man, well, these people would get all the Fs and the Bs and the Ss and the, like, these people would deserve all of the curses, okay? Um, all of them. All the curses, okay? So... Uh, the, the LA Times has a uh, really actually like kind of riveting article because it has video at the top, uh, like pretty, you know, it's not no one dies or anything, but it's uh, just just very um, captivating video about the confrontation between these hateful protesters, the counter protesters, the like people with decency in their heart uh, who came to support the elementary school. And then the, um, I'm just going to say, like not super helpful LAPD uh, in the middle, like in theory, trying to separate the groups, but also fundamentally serving to protect the hate mongers uh, who, you know, in theory needed their First Amendment uh, rights protected, even though they're the ones threatening violence and and that sort of thing. So um, this article uh, come came out June second, so Friday, yesterday, and uh, a fight erupted outside of North Hollywood Elementary School Friday morning, as more than a hundred parents rallied. Parents, interesting. We'll come back to what that means. Rallied against a Pride Day assembly bringing to head weeks of turmoil that saw a transgender teacher's LGBTQ pride flag burned. Um, so this took place at Satakoy Elementary School, which is in North Hollywood. For those who don't know, North Hollywood is actually uh, in the valley, the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles. Um, and uh, there were messages there uh, on signs, including things like no pride in, in grooming, parental choice matters, and leave our kids alone. Um, now, you know, the, the pro-LGBTQ rights folks um, had things like pride flags and, you know, affirming things to say. Um, so there was, of course, all kinds of protesters chanting anti-gay slurs uh, at both the supporters and at, you know, the school. Um, uh, one marcher threw water at a counter-protester and pulled off a wig. A few unidentified people threw punches. Uh, and police diverted the marchers around the area, sort of, but there were numerous small skirmishes, uh, it seems, that broke out. Um, so, Manuel, I honestly, th this gave me a little bit of flashbacks because many years ago now, we talked about it on this show. I, um, in my role at work, had been called out one day to support uh, a high school that I worked with that was the first high school 
in LA and maybe one of the first in, in the state or the country to um, have to, to convert existing single gender restrooms into uh, a, a set of um, all gender, non, you know, non uh, gender, what's the right word I'm thinking of? Um, all gender restrooms, right? Is that, is there a right, is there another term for that? I'm sorry, I'm having a, <laughs> a brain fart, folks. Um, I normally see them labeled as all gender. Yes, thank you. So, you know, they took like what was either a boy's bathroom or a girl's bathroom, made it an all gender restroom, and a gender neutral uh, restroom, I think is what it was called at the time. And so, uh, so this work, which had been like beautifully, humanly, do humanely done by the students, organized education campaign around it. You know, the school had like literally met with parents and there were parents, of course, who grew up more conservative or religious and like they were, they had questions, right? And even though I disagree with them politically, they had questions, they got to ask those questions, the principal and other people at the school spoke to those questions and there was a productive civil discourse about it. It happened, and everyone at the school basically was fine with it. And then this hateful group of Christian folks who drive around and scream at people uh, showed up after school and damn near started a riot because with their loudspeakers and they're like, God hates you and you're a fornicator and all this kind of stuff, nearly started a riot, uh, you know, outside after school at dismissal. Um, which, which, you know, myself and other school staff were there like trying to keep things peaceful while LAPD stood by and basically did nothing. So that's what this brought me back to, Manuel. And it's, it is both, I question, first of all, the status as parents of these people who are reported to be parents, parents of whom and parents at which school uh, who showed up here. And also it's, it's, it's disgusting. It's disgusting, it's despicable conduct, and uh, there's public, like the, the concept of hate for a group of people has no place in a public school. It just doesn't. It's contrary to the values of public school, which is, I think, why so many of these folks don't like public school and want things like vouchers for, you know, for private school and that sort of thing, because they, they have a different, they have some hate in their heart, man, and they are... Uh, you know, they're wanting, they dress it up in nice language, like don't groom our kids, but like that's a ridiculous, it's, it's an empty argument. It's, it's intellectually dishonest. There's no evidence of anything related to LGBTQ education and teaching kids about Pride Month or celebrating Pride Month that that has anything to do with uh, grooming kids for any type of sexual behavior of any sort or abusing kids. And in fact, we know certainly that the the folks who oppose uh, these, you know, this this more dignified, humanizing approach to acknowledging and supporting LGBTQ students and staff um, are, provide safe harbor to all kinds of abusers and groomers. So it, it is projection uh, in its in its nastiest form. So you know, we saw this this week, man. Well, it's maybe not surprising. It's super disappointing, and I really hope that the young people at that school are were being supported, loved, nurtured throughout this process, and not not weren't necessarily the direct recipients of so much of the hateful language that we saw. Yeah, and I think for me, one thing that stands out about this story, it's a reminder for folks who aren't familiar 
I guess, even though we've said it many times on the show. Uh, there's this image of California as being this this liberal wonderland and particularly Los Angeles. And this happened right here in North Hollywood, which is, I mean, for folks who aren't familiar, yeah, it's in the San Gabriel Valley. It's in the, you know, quote unquote, I mean, San Fernando Valley. It's in the, the quote unquote Valley, but it's like, it's not an outskirt. It's not out there. It's not like out there LA County-ish. It's like right here, right here in LA. It's not far at all from from where I live. And, you know, Jeff, yeah, you do mention, you, you mentioned that a lot of these folks are claiming to be parents might not actually be parents. And that, I think that's true in a lot of these instances, a lot of these incidents that we've seen across the nation where, you know, this big group comes to protest or be at a school board, this and that. It's like, do you even have kids in the school system? But, um, you know, I, I saw local reporting. I saw, you know, local reporters leading up to this, talking to folks who were coming to pick up their kids, you know, after school who um, who were part of this group and, and on this kick of like, I'm not bringing my kid to school that day uh, because of the Pride Assembly. And, you know, a lot of these folks are parents of, of the young people there. And it's just so disappointing to see this right here in our own backyard, in our own community. And I'm just thinking about their kids, like growing up in uh, what's clearly a, a household that is not going to be supportive at all of um, anything outside of the traditional gender binary and, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, their own kids. Uh, the group itself, they had, you know, a little Instagram where they're trying to organize to, to get parents to pull their kids on the day of this Pride Assembly. And one thing that they posted was the statement, we want to we want to reiterate that our protest is in no way an attack on the LGBTQ community. And it's like, how is it not attack, an attack on the community? Like the flyer says, keep your kids home and innocent. Videos will be shown to the students, including one where it says some kids have two mommies, some have two daddies. Like, what is wrong with that? Like, what is wrong with letting kids know the reality, the reality of the society around them where, yes, some of their classmates might have two parents at home of the same gender? Like, that, that, how is that compromising the innocence of a child? And how is that not an attack on the LGBTQ community? How is showing up with signs talking about grooming and stop sexualizing our kids? How is that not an attack? Like I, it's in you know this group that claims to not be attacking the LGBTQ community. Like part of this buildup was a trans teacher had a trans flag, not uh, not even a large flag, not that the size of the flag matters, but like in a pot. Uh, in a flower pot outside the classroom and that flag got burned like in the build up to this like how is this not how is this not an attack and i'm just thinking about how this pride month which is only a few days in how different it already is from you know 2 3 years ago i w looking at the organized boycott of Budweiser and Budweiser backing down for that one can, literally one can of Budweiser that they made um, honoring um, a trans influencer. Um, looking at Target and Target coming out and publicly saying it's going to draw down, draw back uh, some of its pride merchandise because of organized boycott and organized literal attacks on the pride section of, of Target. Seeing this happen and seeing, you know, this uh, protest if you want to call it that, outside this elementary school, it's like, yo, we are trending in a very violent and dangerous direction here. Like this, like this Pride Month, I've seen other folks, I've seen folks echo this online. Like this Pride Month is not just about like pride and celebrating. Like this Pride Month needs to be about recognizing the real present danger that folks across the LGBTQ spectrum are are facing right now and 
I am truly worried about the potential for violence this month. Um, obviously, it's not never just contained to this month, but this is a uh, this is not <laughs> this is no good. This is this is no good, and I I'm really feeling for the kids who are growing up in these uh, very hateful households and environments. Uh, those kids who who might themselves grow to be or presently be um, and identify as LGBTQ. It's it's very, very disheartening, and it's happening right here, which means it's happening freaking everywhere. And i also highly disappointed, last thing I'll say on this, because we do have a more hopeful, uplifting story to talk about, is that I'm very disappointed in the superintendent of LAUSD, um, who posted about this, and his his the first line of his tweet, the first statement he made was, there's nothing wrong with elevating someone's voice, but it shouldn't be at the cost of suppressing someone else's voice. Um, LA schools is welcoming environment for all. There's nothing wrong with elevating someone's voice. There is a lot wrong with elevating hateful, um, bigoted, violent voices. There is a lot wrong. This is not a two-side situation. This is not we could agree to disagree. This was a simple pride assembly that became burning a teacher's flag, showing up with these very hateful signs, and, and eventually erupted into a literal fight. So I, I feel like... Um, that position, that statement from the superintendent is not what um, students and families need right now. I think what we really need is a bold defense of all of our kids, all of our youth, and a bold defense of Pride Month because it is heavily under attack. Yeah, 100% agree, man. That that point, especially about like, these aren't, there's, there's not two equal sides. There's definitely two sides in this discussion. But we have to be honest about the two sides, right? One side is like, let's do something loving and affirming for a set of people who are marginalized. And the other side is like, yeah. let's do something hateful and violent towards these people. And, and whether that violence is through direct attack or whether that violence is through the prohibition of providing services that prevent things like self-harm and you know, early death. It's violent in one way or the other or both. And, uh, and so, you know, like the, the, these kinds of ideas are incompatible with what school is, is compelled to be in, in a so-called democracy. And so, um, you know, it, it's sad to see this kind of escalation. And I, I just, you know, am hopeful at least that um, the, the, the folks on the side of, you know, love in this equation are, are organizing as well and, uh, and that ultimately will will prevail. But um, yeah, man, crazy crazy story coming out of LA. Um, we can we can pivot now, Manuel, to our second story, which is fascinating uh, in a bunch of ways, and partially because it's it's surfacing an interesting issue around mentoring of new teachers and the importance of mentoring. And I'm very curious, Manuel, to hear about your experience with with mentoring as a as a young educator, because I, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever like gotten that much depth from you about what that experience was like for you, um, at least in any formal uh, mentoring sense. But this article talks about this important issue in a really cool context, which is like this very rural native Alaskan village with a mentor who literally takes like three planes to get to this town to mentor a new teacher, right? Which is, you know, which is just also kind of cool. And we would be very remiss not to uh, shout out yet another listener 
former guest and uh, superstar member of the AOTA family, the one and only Megan Cyril, who uh, emailed us and was like, yo, this is a dope story. You should talk about this. Uh, so Megan... Uh, very much appreciate you. Thanks for uh, for giving us the the tip here. Um, but this article appeared in uh, in NPR a couple of weeks ago in late May, uh, written by Corey Turner, and um, it's fascinating, man. It's so fascinating. So the the article profiles this um, this person. Amelia Tulim, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that exactly right, but who is an aspiring, uh, you know, educator there. She's a first grade teacher, uh, so I guess not aspiring, but she's a new uh, teacher there, first grade teacher, starting her career, working um, in a, you know, very challenging context, rural Alaska, where, you know, in her town, there's hardly, you know, they're not connected to the rest of the state or the country by roads and highways and that kind of thing. There's lots of poverty and, of course, the long legacy of colonialism and stuff that, that impacts that. Um, and, you know, there's certainly a shortage of resources uh, for the, you know, for the local schools out there. And um, so... It, it gives this kind of context for the work of this guy named Ed Sotelo, who's a 70-year-old veteran teacher who uh, appears periodically in her classroom um, as her mentor. And he literally flies between different rural areas of Alaska uh, to provide mentorship for, for new teachers. Um, and Alaska, like everywhere in this country, has been struggling to staff fully staff their classrooms. Um, and in their context, they have a unique set of challenges, right? Uh, folks who are, who are very isolated geographically um, and who have so few, has such a small community of educators around them that, that even getting access to a mentor, you know, with any kind of regularity is difficult. So fascinating, like, immediate context of this story, Manuel. And also, I am just curious about this issue of mentorship more generally. Like, um, I'm curious to get, you know, to get your take. Like, I don't even know if you, have you served formally as a mentor for, for new teachers? I know you've had student teachers before, but what's your take on mentoring, its importance, its effectiveness in, you know, kind of training and retaining uh, educators new to the field? Yeah, man. Um... I have only ever had any kind of mentoring situation as an informal mentoring, never anything um, formalized, such as what's uh, laid out here in this article. And again, shout out to Megan for uh, bringing this article to our attention. Teacher of the year, teacher of the year, Megan Surreal. Um, but yeah, no, this is this is phenomenal here. This is fantastic. I'm thinking about my first year teaching. There was some kind of I think the phrase used for this person was like a coach, but they were themselves full-time teacher. But during their off period, sometimes they'd be assigned to come to my class and like observe some and talk to me about it. And that wasn't really helpful. No disrespect to to that person, but it just wasn't helpful really at all. It just it, it wasn't really sustainable in, a, in a, any kind of real way. It's not what's laid out here, this Alaska Statewide Mentor Project where, um, like you just mentioned, like he, this dude is like fully like, able to mentor like travel three plane rides you you skip the part where he has to take a snowmobile across a frozen lake <laughs> yeah. um, in addition to those three play rides <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is crazy to me um to get there but to actually have 
the time and capacity to, to actually observe fully like the classes in session and have full conversations and not be like, okay, now I got to get back to my class or okay, now I got to get back to this. Like that is, uh, that is a wonderful thing. The mentoring that I had was informal and it saved my career. It, it, when I, um, left Sacramento where I was teaching for my first four years of my career and came down here. Um, the transition was extremely hard and I, I got a job at a school at my current school site. Um, but it was it newly reconstituted and things were quite chaotic in a lot of ways. And, you know, there's this threat of being taken over, shut down, this and that. And, um, there was just a lot, there was so much that was so different than what I was used to. And it was tough. Like it was tough, but I had two OG teachers there. Uh, shout out to Mr. Bynum and Mr. Harrison. They've each since retired, but two OG black male, uh, teachers who completely like, if it weren't for them, I would not still be in education like at all like I, I was spending my lunchtime looking at job listings for anything that wasn't teaching uh I would be out of there but they were so so helpful and number one helping me see that like the challenges I was feeling were, weren't a reflection of me being a failure or me being no good at it because that's what I was wondering I was like yo I'm, maybe I'm not any good at this maybe my first four years were a fluke and now I'm like in a real challenge and I'm and I, and I don't have it um they helped me see that it wasn't it wasn't that I was uh, not meant for this profession or not right for this profession. It was all these other things. And they helped me not only navigate those things, but understand the importance of quickly like tapping into to the community and quickly understanding the dynamics of the community that I was in because it was different from the community that that I was previously teaching in. And uh, that all that was informal. None of that was paid in on their sense. It was a lot of it happened during passing periods or, um, you know, in between other stuff or in the back of a room during some other collaborative meeting and, and them talking to me. Um, and that definitely saved my career. And I just would love would love to see movement on uh, developing something like this Alaska uh, Statewide Mentor Pro Project in more areas, like having folks like uh, Bynum and Harrison be able to give that kind of mentoring to other uh, younger teachers, especially to be able to do it and not have to also juggle their own t classes, their own curriculum, their own stuff. So I, I love this idea. I, I have not mentored somebody of my own, not formally, just informal again. Um, but I would love to be able to do something like this. Like as, you know, my um, years in the classroom, whenever, you know, it comes time for me to step out, I would love to be able to like travel to different uh, schools and and mentor different teachers and, and give them the support that that the majority of teachers simply don't have out there, man. This is, this is really beautiful. Yeah, I, I agree, man. Well, I think it's, it's a fascinating concept. And like you said, the, the planes and the snowmobiles, he also, then we should add to it. So after the three plane rides and the snowmobiling across the tundra, then he sleeps at the school. Like he brings a sleeping bag and he's at the school to like observe Wild. and mentor. And then he sleeps in the library, right? And he takes a pad. He's got a, he says, I've got a pad that I take everywhere and a little sleeping bag that goes down to below freezing. So I don't know if they're turning off the heat at night man. in the library in the school and they're just leaving this dude in the cold <laughs> like this is crazy uh but also i mean hey shout out to him what amazing like incredible work this guy's doing um so yeah i i will say my experiences with mentoring were both informal and formal i had some you know a certain set of teachers early in my career uh shout out to um i would probably say courtney kelly this guy, uh, Mr. Kelly, was probably someone, one of my most important informal mentors. He was a math teacher 
and um, just very respected teacher in the school. And I think, you know, had like really great relationships with the kids and pushed kids, you know, it's very sort of like fatherly figure to a lot of the students. And um, so I just really respected him and uh, learned a lot from him, uh, you know, about sort of how to relate to students and how to, um, you know, the, the sort of right like attitude to approach the work with. And um, but then also, man, well, I had in this context, they were called coaches. So I had a literacy coach and then I had a I don't know, I guess she was like a first year a new teacher coach, um, I think, or maybe she was called a mentor. I'm forgetting. But um, these two folks were both really, really good. Um, so Melissa Menneke was uh, my like new teacher uh, mentor who uh, is now currently, I believe, still a principal in New York City. Um, so shout out to her. And then my literacy coach was this guy named Jeremy. And um, I would say between the two of them, like they radically transformed my approach to teaching. And I don't, I don't know that I was, you know, I definitely had my new teacher struggles. I wasn't struggling to the point that I think I would have just like quit the profession or something after that. But um, I think they helped me get good at teaching or at least pretty good at teaching a lot more quickly than I would have gotten on my own. Um, really challenging me to think about like, what kinds of expectations do I have for my students? And am I okay with that? You know, and like surfacing the like, oh, I have, I don't, I have lower expectations than I, like if I were able to step out of myself and look at the expectations that I'm setting for my students, they're low and they're not high enough. And I'm, I'm putting an, an artificial cap on the possibilities of their learning because I'm bogged down in classroom management and stuff that I was, you know, it's important and foundational, but also is not the ceiling uh, of my work or of their learning. And you know, and then just helping me be much more reflective about the kind of culture I wanted to create in the classroom and the, the kinds of learning experiences that I wanted to craft for kids beyond just the textbook and the kind of provided curriculum stuff. And so it was um, a really powerful experience for me to have that type of mentorship, formal and otherwise. And um, I say that also, Manuel, because we do such a, I think, not great job like kind of structurally as a profession providing those supports to young teachers and i feel like i know a lot of folks who you know by luck of the draw i got these good literacy coach and you know new teacher coach folks in my life uh it was most certainly um not the case for all of my colleagues it was most certainly uh you know, luck for me that like, oh, I, I got that and look at the positive impact it had. Why don't we work in a profession where like that's the guaranteed experience for everyone, right? Um, and so in, in a world of funding cuts, in a world of, you know, artificially imposed scarcity, we often are left with, you know, it's just sort of thinking about how to make the best with what we have or something. But especially in this day and age, teacher shortages, you know, worries about mass exodus from the profession, staffing challenges, generally speaking, uh, you know, not having enough younger folks coming into and or staying in the profession. Like we should be investing serious public dollars in, in like high quality infrastructure that supports new teachers and helps them get good quickly. 
Because I know for me, like feeling like, okay, I'm, I'm a competent teacher, pivoting from that to like the initial struggles and being overwhelmed to feeling like, okay, like it's still hard, but like I feel competent in a lot of the core things. Getting there quickly is such an important, you know, uh, milestone to hit in order to actually retain folks. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Um, and I'm really sitting with what you just said about it being the luck of the draw you have in those coaches, the folks that you had, and just how much of education is luck of the draw. You know, for too many students, it's, you know, your your entire experience with mathematics or with history or with whatever might be luck of the draw. You having the teacher that sees you and builds a, a humanizing space for you and challenges you and holds you to high expectations versus being assigned a room where the for whatever reason, the teacher's barely there and you got, you know, long-term subs or, you know, sub after sub or or uh, some other um, experience. How much luck of the draw in where what school site you end up in as a teacher uh, in terms of if it's the right fit for you. And that's, you know, a bit of a preview for the conversation that we'll be having next week. Uh, yeah, a lot of luck of the draw in this system that we have here. And that's a problem. <laughs> that's no bueno. I definitely love this idea of... Um, supporting formalized ways for there to be uh teacher mentorship especially mentoring uh from veteran teachers to to newer teachers and having the ability for a newer teacher to have somebody um who is skilled and patient and loving to f observe them uh you know without judgment without it being you know most of the times i get observed it's it's an evaluation or, or you know or yeah it's an administrator who's stepping in informally but most of the time it's not um, something like this, where like there's a patient observer who could sit there for the full lesson and have an honest conversation with me afterwards about, you know, in the, in the article it talks about, you know, he would ask her, uh, you know, if you could do that lesson over, what's something that you would do differently? And, and just having, you know, honest reflection on it. But it's such a, the, the real experience, what we get is a lack of any kind of mentorship, of course, but also just such a bell to bell grind from class to class without uh much capacity mm, formalized yep. capacity to really reflect on what uh what happened and what could be improved on because then it's like on to the next thing on to the, and it's it's a uh, it's tough man it's a very rat race feel to um being a teacher especially when you're new to it and everything is brand new each lesson everything like it's just you know kind of i think about like nfl quarterbacks and how they talk about like the game slows down after a while once you build the capacity to be able to read defenses and understand and, and as a teacher it's the same thing like at first it's so fast there's so much happening it's hard to like really see it in uh that patient way and that's why the it, it's so important to have somebody there with you who does have the lens and for whom the the dynamics of class lesson do operate slowly so they could see these things and help you learn to see them and help you learn to unpack all that so yeah man i would love to hear from anybody out there who's listening to this episode about uh similar structures that might be in place so this was you know this story is about alaska i am wondering what other states might have something similar or if there is something similar in california that just for some reason I missed and have never heard of um, that's similar to this this concept of having um, a retired teacher come back or I, I don't know how retirement fits into this but uh, someone who's taught in the classroom for many years and no longer is in the classroom come back and be able to informally have these conversations um, but in a formalized structure uh, versus 
what we see a lot of, which is, you know, instructional coaches and other coaches in, in California schools who also are doing the testing and also are doing this and doing that. And, you know, it's kind of difficult. Uh, it's very difficult in many cases for them to be able to do this type of mentoring that's uh, laid out in this article. So, so yeah, man. Yep. Well, anything else, Jeff? Yeah. Before we you, get about you just, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, one, just one quick thing I'll say is um, you may, you're making me think also our former guest on the show, our senior middle school correspondent, Genevieve DuBose, um, friend of the show, uh, has talked a few times with us about her like favorite job as an educator was this sort of, um, I forget what the exact title of it was, but it was like lead teacher mentor type role where she had a part-time teaching load and a part-time like coaching and mentoring load. And it, it also makes me think, obviously, the Alaska example we read about is like super cool and extreme and stuff, right? But um, it also makes me like, this is, I guess, what I'm getting at when I say we can create structural conditions whereby we, we invest in new teachers in this way. And I think we need more of that. And I know we've like tried it and struggled with it over the years because honestly, districts are really not good from what I've seen at um, at training coaches. And there's not necessarily like there's a very thin bench of people who are like skilled and ready to be effective coaches, honestly, from what I've seen. But a lot of that has to do with like training and preparation, too. And districts aren't good at that yet and universities aren't good at that yet so this this stands out to me as like a place where we should invest because the power of it is very important and what's more important than retaining great talent you know yeah absolutely and i am i yo i'm down to take a snowmobile across or down the uh <laughs> down the 101 freeway over to north hollywood <laughs> to uh be of support to some of those teachers who just experienced who knows what uh level of trauma on friday um yeah man uh teamwork makes the dream work as i always say in my classes and uh us teachers especially those of us who are uh trying our best to to march for educational justice and build humanizing spaces man we could really use the type of support that's laid out in this uh in this piece here i'm down to you know well i don't know if i'm down to sleep in a library overnight but uh, i'm down to take the snowmobile down the 101 and uh do what i can to help out for sure for sure hey folks actually um you know, let's preview the next couple full episodes because uh, I'm I'm I see I'm seeing a thread here that was totally unplanned. But let's go ahead and say that we intentionally did this. So the story about uh, the challenges of being a teacher, of course, and especially in this political landscape, and then the the value and the importance of mentoring and support for teachers, especially younger teachers. So that's what we talked about today. Uh, next week we have two super dope guests. We we've already filmed the conversation, and it's it's going to be great. You'll um, very much enjoy it. Uh, two guests who wrote uh, a really wonderful book about burnout and about sustainability uh so uh meredith matson and rebecca schaff uh, is that how you say your last name jeff i don't recall show show yes uh and they each came to to discuss their work educating with passion and purpose keep the fire going without burning out and i think you know for a lot of folks the school year either just ended or it's uh about to end for you and you're questioning whether or not this is still for you whether or not you still got it and i think that conversation that we had um with these two with these two uh wonderful educators about identifying um signs of burnout and tapping back into your the purpose that your passion and purpose that brought you to this work and um 
dealing with all the the challenges that are there from, you know, maybe a, a school site that's not really matching, not really the right fit for you to just all the challenges of being a teacher, like that conversation about burnout sustainability, I think is um, an important element of the importance of, of mentoring and mentorship, but also um, important at this time of year as we reflect on the end of, of this school year. And then after that, we have another conversation with somebody who's like, on the opposite end of it, somebody who's just now entering the teaching profession, um, a wonderful, really wonderful young man uh, that we just uh, had a discussion with out here in Los Angeles. His name is Bryant Odega, and he's currently serving as a long-term sub. Um, he's been he's a he's he's a member of Gen Z, and he is now about to begin his studies. Um, in teaching and teaching leadership at the Harvard Graduate School of Education, uh, which is where Jeff and I each got our teacher credential and master's and where we met. Uh, so he's going off to our alma mater, and he is very, very uh, excited and hopeful to begin his journey into the classroom as a fully credentialed um, full-time teacher. And I think this you know, this discussion about supporting our new teachers, recruiting and retaining uh, diverse educators, of course, and identifying ways that we can ensure that the profession is sustainable for uh, us dope educators out here. You know, that's sort of the thread of these next couple full episodes and and passing periods. So uh, definitely, if you haven't already subscribed and make sure that you're following us on whatever social media, um, you know, make sure you do that because I think, I think, uh, this is the perfect time of year to have some of these discussions as we um, wrap up one year and look ahead to the next. So, Jeff, anything else before we get up out of here? Last thing I think I would say, Manuel, is we have a wonderful partnership uh, with some sponsors of the show, the good folks at the Human Restoration Project, um, who are holding their annual conference. It's the Conference to Restore Humanity, taking place July 24th to 27th. Uh, it's a virtual conference, lots of cool, exciting things happening, keynotes, sessions. Uh, it's going to be very engaging. And, um, and I think, you know, a really sort of beautiful space for educators to uh, to like feed your soul a little, a little bit over the summer. Um, so we definitely want to encourage folks uh, to go check it out. You go to humanrestorationproject.org and uh, slash conference. So humanrestorationproject.org slash conference. They, there you can register uh, for the conference and use the code AOTA, like all the above. Uh, so use the code AOTA. You'll get $25 off, and that helps support um, all the above. So every for everyone out there who registers, uh, you you help yourself and you help us. Um, so please do that, and uh, you'll get something for you and help us keep making this, this wonderful show. So thanks, everybody. Yeah. All right, and with that, I want you all to know I expect you to stay dope and to keep shiny. Uh, remember that we love you all. And now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class. <laughs> <laughs>